Welcome to the Trend Detection Podcast, powered by Sensei, an industry leader in using AI to drive scalable and sustainable asset performance and reliability. For this three-part series, I'm joined by Gail Peterson, founder of Fortig, a company that helps organizations get the maximum value from their investment in assets by embracing Industry 4.0. In the first episode of this series, we discuss Gail's definition of asset management, why it's so important in asset-intensive industries, and the problem with data silos and legacy systems. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Gail, um, and welcome to the Trend Detection Podcast. Thanks for joining us this afternoon or this morning. Might be where you are. Um, how are you today? I will, thank you, and delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure to see you on some of our live sessions as well. So I thought it'd be great to, um, to bring you on to, to a podcast and sort of dive into some more detail into your background of asset management, which I know you've got a great deal of experience in. So um, on that note, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself to our audience and um, yeah, just your background really, it'd be great to hear. Yes, well, I got started in uh, this whole area of, of business um, through maintenance, being an advisor to a cross-functional user team and then shifted into uh, into maturity maintenance and and sorry maintenance and reliability and now asset management so it's been a very intense journey and one that has never um, bored me <laughs> and just so you know my background is that of a mathematician I'm not an engineer so that's really influenced how I approach problems. How does that give you a different perspective, I guess? Because that is interesting that you've got that background. How does that give you a different perspective on asset management? Well, I, so I, I don't want to offend the engineers, but uh, engineers just want to build something. And uh, mathematicians want to solve problems. And so it's a different perspective. And I've taken that into my management consulting career, um, where I've, again, gone through that um, curve of maintenance, reliability, and asset management. So actually, it'd be, it'd be a good place to start, actually, and it might seem like a, it's quite a wide-ranging question, so we could be talking about it for a while, but what actually is asset management in your eyes? How would you define that? Asset management includes reliability and maintenance. Reliability and maintenance do not include asset management. So asset management is really the governing pieces um, around assets. And uh, the thought leadership has actually come out of the UK from uh, the publicly available specification 5.5, past 55, which was the foundation for the ISO standard, ISO 55,000 for asset management. And one of the th critical things that the uh, ISO standard mandates requires is that an organization connect their asset management strategy to the strategy to the strategy of their business. And that therefore puts asset management on the C-suite agenda, which is critical. <laughs> I never thought I'd live long enough to see that. And we're all so grateful that that actually happened. Yeah, and actually talking about the C-level agenda, I guess that's one reason why it's so important today. But yeah, so what, why is asset management so important? Um, yeah, why, why is it so crucial? 
Well, in an asset intensive industry, in all asset intensive industries, what are you going to do without the assets <laughs> to produce the product, <laughs> to produce the product or service um, that the organization's purpose, uh, their their mission is uh, designed around? So, taking care of these criti mission critical, their mission critical assets actually is really um, important. And asset management really shifts that whole perspective of maintenance from a cost to an investment in the future. And, and which, um, when you say asset-intensive industries, I guess it'd be interesting, which, which industries are, are, I guess, are the most asset-intensive, I guess? That's a good question. Uh, well, any, any, indus any industry that's dependent upon their assets to produce a, the product or service that their mission is designed around. So um, telecom, shipping, marine shipping, shipping of any kind, transportation, uh, utilities, mining, um, aeronautics. Um, so in all these industries, defense, that's a big one. Uh, where we're investing now, um, they're all very dependent upon these very expensive assets that need to be maintained. When we talk about the airline industry, for example, that's precious. They, they're carrying precious cargo. <laughs> so we don't want, we want those uh, planes to be reliable. Equal number of takeoffs, equal number of landings. Yeah, ab absolutely. And what what interested me then as well is how important it is, you said to the business strategy as well, by linking it to the business strategy and getting C level engagement. So um, maybe you could dive into that a little bit more. How does business strategy sort of inform the asset management strategy and vice versa? I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start by saying an organization, an asset intensive organization could have the best, the very best operational excellence strategy on the planet. And if it's not connected to the business strategy, it doesn't get a voice. It's not heard, it's not seen um, by the C-suite. And it's important that, that executive sponsorship is there for managing these assets and taking care of them. So the business strategy re really provides the alignment that is required to manage those assets um, properly. If we're not serving the business, if we're not contributing to the strategic objectives of the organization, why are we doing it? Exactly. I guess that's like any function of a business. If it's not aligned with the business um, business strategy. Um, but how, how would you get um, buy-in, I guess, from the C-level? What, what sort of tactics would you recommend in order to, or strategies, let's say, to engage the C-suite in asset management activities? That's a great question. And the one, the way I've answered that is uh, in my practice is asking the C-suite, what keeps them up at night? What's the, what's the problem that, you know, worries you that you, you haven't been able to solve? And let's address that. And interestingly enough, in an asset intensive organization, those kinds of problems very, very, very often lie within the asset portfolio. 
So that once we capture the attention of the C-suite, once we develop an operational excellence strategy to actually solve that problem, once we identify the problem and develop the asset management strategy to solve it, and then the, the suite of initiatives and projects that we need to be able to fulfill those, those strategic asset um, objectives, we've got the C-suite. They're gonna be focused on those strategic objectives because that's how they're paid. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And um, and so I guess it's emphasizing those benefits of asset management as well. You know, you know what 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 are the outcomes of a good asset management, I guess. Maybe you can explore that a little bit too. Absolutely. And you put you put your finger on the on the pulse, if you will. The making ensuring that what we do actually has positive business outcomes and hits the bottom line in a very positive way is what's really significant. And that's what, again, that's what shifts maintenance, all those activities to an investment. And actually, and I know you've mentioned maintenance, reliability, sort of form, form part. Um, so, I mean, what are the key differences? Because I guess some people might confuse the terms predictive maintenance, say, or an asset management and reliability. How do they, work apart and together i guess um how do they work in tandem well you can't maintain your way to reliability <laughs> that's an interesting uh interesting concept you can be maintaining equipment but maybe you're not doing the right thing at the right time on the right piece of equipment so again it's that alignment and the other piece that's not well understood is that window uh, to be able to close that gap between you know increasing reliability of your equipment that piece is that window is much larger if you design for reliability when you're actually designing the um, assets you can design reliability into those assets so when those assets are actually built and commissioned, the, the operators and the maintainers actually have this window of moving into reliability, not this little window. It's pretty massive. And that's this is a concept that is not well understood or embraced by the design engineers yet. Yes. Is it something something to look forward to in the future? I guess. I hope so. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting about uh, maintenance is nothing's really changed in the last forty years, and that has a lot to do with culture, tradition. We've already we've always done it that way. Don't rock my boat. I'm going to be retiring in three years. I don't want to change. It's fear of change. Um, it's like you want, like, what do you mean different? Um, managing your assets differently, managing your business differently. Um, yeah. In, the, in your experience, we haven't really touched on technology too much, but is that, that um, you know, things haven't changed. Does that also mean technology, technological, if I could say it correctly, <laughs> as well? Is it not embracing some of the, the technology and digital transformation and the benefits that can bring as well? 
Absolutely. And if we had five people in a room and, I, and we asked them what their definition of digital twin or digital transformation would be, we would get five different definitions or explanations. So that common vocabulary is important. So we understand each other. We know what we're talking about. Also, there's an education uh, gap. Um, and there's some, in some organizations, they're the reluctance to hire consultants who are thought leaders, who can, you know, that don't tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what, what you, you should be doing to change, to move, to close that gap between what your vision of the future is and where you are today. Okay. And technology, sorry. No, no, you go, sorry. <laughs> technology is, you, you put, you know, you mentioned something extremely interesting as well. Technology is now becoming affordable. The things we talked about 20, 30 years ago, they're now doable. <laughs> And uh, that's very significant. Also, the pace of change is growing exponentially. Um, and those organizations that do not embrace Industry 4.0, for example, uh, digital transformation is certainly part of that. We get more specific. We call it industrial transformation when we talk about asset-intensive organizations. Um, it's really important to understand what's happening with those with it, in, in industrial internet of thing of of, of uh, things with big data analytics with cloud and with mobile those four levers of change are literally turning business models upside down and the influence that will have it will change the way business operates and it will change the way the maintainers and the technology people within your organization and outside your organization will work. Matthew, well, we mentioned Industry 4.0 is bound to come up in the conversation at some point, I guess. Um, <laughs> maybe a little bit earlier than I thought, actually, but that, that doesn't matter. It's more, it's, it's interesting. So there's, there's been a lot of talk about Industry 4.0 for a long time now and i've actually been to events recently where they're introducing industry 5.0 but from what you're saying is a lot of these organizations are barely embrace industry 4.0 so the industry 5.0 is just you know way way you know they've got to get you know they've got to be they've got to have the basis there i guess i agree i mean we need to get grounded in industry 4.0 and from my perspective this is my per personal opinion I think industry 4.0 is the way of the future for asset intensive organizations. It's really about learning what, what that big picture is, attending events, uh, reading, uh, listening to podcasts, um, whatever you can do to educate yourself about what that really is and what it means to your organization is very important. You need to have that big picture and then start out with baby steps and then build credibility with your success and, and take larger and larger pieces off to actually reach 4.0. Um, my opinion also is that or those organizations that do not embrace industry 4.0, that stay stuck in tradition, they may never be able to catch up. 
they may be too far behind to catch up. It's wow. really about survival. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's quite a stark statement, really, isn't it? That <laughs> they've sort of seen it. I guess they've sort of seen it walk by, by them, and go, "Oh, they know what it is," but actually, it it could be too far in the distance for them to, you know, to catch up. Because obviously, I guess rivals and you know competitors are already some might be well down the road much further than them so it is is they've had a massive head start um but you mentioned about sort of taking some steps towards it um i mean what would be the the starting point i guess for for, for a company that's sort of maybe now started to think oh maybe we should be doing something with this industry 4.0 stuff but what what would be the starting point for that where would they what sort of things should they start thinking about one very significant piece is uh, data, 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 data. And um, every organization I've been in has a suite of legacy applications that are siloed. They're not, they're, they might be interfaced occasionally, but there's no integration. So we're I'm not, I'm not only talking about information technology, I'm talking about operational technology on the shop floor where there's much more money spent on technology uh, to run the production process, to monitor the production process, and also cu customer technology. We need to connect with the customer, um, that outside in view, because our customer is our source of revenue. And that's often overlooked. Uh, we can't afford breakdowns, for example. So getting back to technology, those technology platforms have to be cleaned up. And that is a, that is a long journey. Um, the legacy systems have to be updated. Duplicate uh, functionality be resolved between systems or among systems. Spreadsheets, throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen too much of spreadsheet health, excuse my language. It just doesn't make any sense. Spreadsheets are not auditable. You can have a spreadsheet. I can have a spreadsheet. We've got some duplicate data there. My data will be different from yours, guaranteed. So where's, where's the uh, authenticity in that data? So we need to drive towards an integrated information technology, operations technology, customer technology platform, mandatory. And so that's one place, to, one place to have your eye on the ball. You've got to get started now. And again, getting back to solving that customer or that C-suite problem is really important. Um, we need to upgrade our skills, not only in the C-suite, in terms of education, but on the shop floor and the, in, the, in our field staff, they're required to maintain growing, more growing or more and more and more sophisticated equipment. Have their certification, has their, have their skills been updated? Likely not. And we owe it to our employees to make sure they are ready for this transition. And, and they are able to handle current technology. They're able to keep our equipment reliable. They're able to understand what the regulations are and how to comply. They're able to understand how to reduce 
energy. They're able to understand, again, how to keep the equipment reliable so we can deliver on time. No breakdowns, same for zero breakdowns. And that we wanna influence our customer to be able to um, gain more market share, be a, have our competitive advantage, improve our profitability, close that value gap. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's funny, it's my, the next question on my list was actually about how key integrating data is to get a clear picture of asset health. I think you've answered that quite nicely, unless there's anything you'd like to add to that. Um, to that point, because I I completely get it as well. Siloed data, it you know whether it's spreadsheets, legacy systems, um, that is a big undertaking to shift that to you know let's say more modern systems that actually are designed to work with each other or at least be integrated or composable. Is a new term I'm hearing a lot at the minute to describe that concept. Right. The other piece is that, and I, I've touched on this a little bit. The way organizations will operate will be very different. So Niall, you're in the UK right now. I'm on the West Coast of Canada. You can, I, I can be operating, you know, I can be managing my business here. You're doing the analysis on the equipment. You can see that that equipment's gonna fail. You don't, you're predicting failure. I don't want my equipment to fail, but you're doing the analysis. So you're gonna make sure those parts are at my, at my business. You're gonna make sure the technicians are there to do it you're, or to for, perform the work. You're gonna make sure the work order has been created to actually make this happen. And you're gonna make sure the, that production gives you the time when you're there to actually make that, that um, replacement and prevent breakdown. That's actually interesting because I think we're, we're veering into the territory of what's defined as equipment as a service. Um, and it's an offer. It's something we've been talking about. I know you've, you've been on webinars as well. We've, we've discussed that offering. So what's your view on sort of equipment as a service and, and yeah, the technology required to sort of implement that or, and how, and, sorry, but multiple questions here, but yeah, how are uh, our, our companies in a good place to be able to start embracing that sort of concept? Or is there more education required, as you mentioned sort of before? I think, well, there are certain automation companies that are, have seen this vision say, 10 years ago. And they've made significant uh, investment in technology to be able to move towards that equipment as a service. And I think we're gonna, we're gonna see more and more of that, more and more and more of that. It makes sense. That's what, you know, who knows that equipment better than the um, firm that actually created it, built it. Yeah, yeah, Every, everything you said, because you've mentioned a lot about the customer experience, and I guess it feeds a lot into that. It's offering a, a better, um, the end customer better service, but also it's those new revenue streams that um, are creating as well. So not just selling a product, but actually a service on top of the product for to achieve more recurring revenue, like in the SaaS world where um, Sensei um, and up similar companies are are based. Cars are a really good example of that. You know, it's not just about the price, the cost of the of the initial vehicle. It's about <laughs> the amount of money you, as an owner, pay to have that car 
serviced and, and reliable. Every time you turn the key on, it starts. Every time it takes you to your destination and you turn the key off, you want that reliability. But the amount that you invest to, may, to be able to have it in tires and oil and um, whatever else uh, you need to do that to that car, regular servicing, um, making sure that you're taking care of that asset. That's where the investment is. That's where the big dollars are spent or after the asset is commissioned. Yeah, Total no, cost of ownership. So that was the first part of our series, diving into the world of asset management. I hope you enjoy it. It's clear from my conversation with Gail that legacy systems, spreadsheets, and data silos are going to hold back organizations on their digital transformation journey. However, if organizations can overcome this, there are clear opportunities to improve their customers' experience and create new revenue opportunities, for example, through equipment as a service. Please subscribe via your favorite podcast provider if you'd like to be notified about future episodes and let us know your feedback by leaving us a review. You can find out more about how Sensei can reduce unplanned downtime and contribute towards improved sustainability within your manufacturing plants by visiting Sensei.io. Thanks a lot for listening.